Weekly Signals, every Tuesday morning from 8 to 9 a.m. Join me, Mike Casper, and Nathan Callahan for the best in reality-based radio. That's Weekly Signals. Check out the website at weeklysignals.com. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. You're listening to KUCI at 88.9 FM in Irvine and online at KUCI.org. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's a local attorney and certified information privacy professional. She's the author of several books, including Safeguard Your Identity and From Victim to Victor, a step-by-step guide for ending the nightmare of identity theft. She sits as an advisor to the State of California Office of Privacy Protection, and she's a sheriff reserve here in Orange County. She's testified many times in Congress and the California legislature on privacy and identity theft issues, and you may have seen her on TV on Dateline, 48 Hours, NBC, ABC, CNN, O'Reilly, Geraldo, Montel, a lot of other shows. And uh, she did her own 90-minute PBS special last year called Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash privacy piracy. Well, I am thrilled that we're going to have Tina Stowe, who is a certified information privacy professional, and she is the Senior Director of Privacy and Communications for LexisNexis. And a lot of people who might be listening who are lawyers know LexisNexis because that's what we buy our legal books. But LexisNexis does a whole lot more. In fact, they are a global provider of business information solutions to a wide range of professionals, even more than legal. They do risk management, corporate, government, law enforcement, accounting, and the academic markets. As Senior Director of Privacy and Communications, Tina Stowe reports to the Senior Vice President for Privacy, Security, and Compliance, Carol DeBatiste, who was on our show, and she is also terrific. Tina is responsible for communication with the public and private stakeholders and LexisNexis associates on matters about privacy, security, and compliance. She also develops outreach and education strategies, privacy, security, and compliance policies, and she's also responsible for the website privacy policy that's on the LexisNexis website and the ChoicePoint website. Additionally, she manages the company's consumer opt-out program, and she responds directly to consumer inquiries when it's related to privacy, identity theft issues, and all the like. So if you want to learn more, you can go to LexisNexis, that's L-E-X-I-S-N-E-X-I-S dot com, and also choicepoint.com, and our website, which is KUCI.org slash Privacy Piracy, where you can see her photo. She's adorable, her bio, and, of course, it links to her website. So thank you for joining us all the way from D.C. now, Tina. Oh, Mari, thank you so much for having me. I'm so glad to be here. Well, a lot of people really only think about LexisNexis when they're thinking about legal books. That's at least my friends, and, and they don't know enough about it. Why don't you tell us a little bit about LexisNexis and, and their relationship with ChoicePoint now? Sure, I'd be happy to. And there are a lot of lawyers out there that know about LexisNexis because of our Lexis platform and and all the information and research tools that we provide to lawyers. But really, that's just one piece of our business. We also have customers that utilize our products and services to prevent fraud, to locate criminals, to call witnesses and other parties to legal actions, um, to locate missing children, as well as several other purposes also. And, And just as an example, Mari, we have more than 4,000 federal, state, and local law enforcement agencies that use LexisNexis solutions uh, for their day-to-day work in the law enforcement field. So it certainly is a diverse customer base, and uh, we're proud to serve all of them. That's great. Now, you're one of of several big, and they have small, many small information brokers or data brokers. So tell us, what is an information company? Well, you know, I think... um, 
an information company can be can be defined in many different ways, but certainly in our context, you know, we take information from a number of different sources and then provide it to our customers to help them, you know, in, in many cases, uh, execute consumer-driven transactions. So, for example, we serve a customer base that, that deals with pre-screening and pre-employment screening. So you as a customer, Mari, if you were to go to an employer and, and they asked you to undergo a background screen, they may come to LexisNexis and help ask us to help verify the employment information that you provided to them so that they can assess you as a potential employee and make sure that they're mitigating risk within their company. Um, that's just one example. But as an information company, of course, we uh, we provide a lot of different information that help companies just make good decisions and decisions that mitigate risk for them internally as an organization. So what about your role within the company? What, what do you do as Senior Director of Privacy? Well, I, I really have five main areas of responsibility. And one, several of them you already touched on in, in my introduction, but one of them is the Consumer Opt-Out Program. So we, we have a program whereby consumers can come to LexisNexis and say, Tina, I'm a law enforcement officer, and I really don't want you know my information, my address, and my phone number available, you know, for anyone just to go out and find it. And of course, we honor that and, and understand that completely. So we have a program of consumer opt-out where where folks who meet certain criteria can come to us and say, you know, we'd really not have rather not have that information available through any public databases, and we will help the consumer through that opt-out process. And so that's one major area of focus for me. Tina, would, would that also include if someone is a victim of domestic violence and stalking? It certainly would, Mari. It would include, um, you know, law enforcement. It would also include someone who is a victim of identity theft, such as you have been in the past. Right. If you're a risk of physical harm or if you've got someone who's stalking you, if um, you know, we certainly honor all of those types of requests. And, and my office works personally with those consumers to, to, to meet that request and, and make sure it's handled expeditiously. And would they go to LexisNexis.com, or how would they go to you to, to do that? Well, there's a number of different ways that consumers can contact us to execute opt-out. And one way is to visit the website that you mentioned earlier, which is www.LexisNexis.com. If you just add slash privacy to the end of that, you'll see an area there for consumers. And if you click on that area for consumers, it, it fully explains our opt-out procedures, gives you contact information, a form to fill out, you can email it to us, fax us, um, you can call us, and, and we'll start initiating that process. Right. So you said you wore five hats, so we talked about a couple of them. You got some more to tell us about? I sure do. <laughs> um, I sure do. So a second area that I concentrate on is training, and we really think that that's a key component to um, running an organization that is responsible in, in privacy and security. So every year we have a mandatory annual privacy and security training that we we mandate that all of our employees must take and not just take, but they have to pass it. And there are assessments and they're tough questions and I make them myself. So um, <laughs> we don't make it a cakewalk, believe me. And we require all of our employees to take that on an annual basis. We track compliance with that and ensure that that happens uh, annually. We also do a lot of outreach and we do that internally and externally. We want to talk about what we're doing in privacy, security, and compliance because it it is so important, and, and awareness really is the key internally so that all of our employees have a good foundation in the matters that we deal with on a daily basis. We have a, responsible, a responsibility to, quite frankly, Mari, as an information company to ensure that our employees are educated about these, about these matters. Right, because that you have a lot of sensitive information, everything from a social security number to all sorts of issues of licenses, whether it's a pilot license or an educational license or just everything, addresses, birthdays, right? A lot of sensitive data. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I think that there's sometimes a misconception out there that you have to be an information company to be worried about those issues. And that's really not the case. If you're an organization that has employees, you're going to have sensitive information. You're going to have a social security number. You're going to have a date of birth. You're going to have an address. Those are all sensitive data points that have to be protected, and your, your, your workforce has to understand what it takes to keep that kind of information safe. Right. So you're right about companies that have our sensitive information, banks, doctor's offices, dental offices, accounting offices, all of those really have the same duty that you have. So you're right. Exactly. exactly. Any other hats? <laughs> A couple more. <laughs> I do work with specialized consumer matters, and so there are 
a number of different places that consumers can reach out to LexisNexis about their, you know, their different issues. And we have a privacy hotline, and we've got a consumer inquiry department. And every now and again, there will be issues that are a little bit outside of the norm. And when that happens, they get directed to my office. And I end up talking on the phone with a lot of consumers personally. And I like that because it gives me an opportunity to see what the issues are out there and have, you know, have a chance to speak one-on-one, you know, what are the specialized issues that are popping up and is there a way that our company can respond to mitigate that for other consumers? And, or it might just be to sort of talk through, you know, what is our opt-out process? You know, how can I dispute something that's on my report? Those types of matters. So I, I actually sort of wear a consumer hat. And then lastly, I have a compliance function. And that's helping our, we have a whole department dedicated to audit and compliance, but in terms of meeting our legal and regulatory obligations um, with regard to the training that I spoke about, sometimes we have other responsibilities that that we have to comply with with regard to working with the Federal Trade Commission and others. So I have a compliance hat that I I wear as well. So it's it's a full plate. It keeps me plenty busy, uh, but I enjoy every minute of it. And so did you want to clone yourself about four more times? <laughs> exactly. I wouldn't mind that. No, I know. And I, I know from personal experience, you are really important, you know, um, in, worried about these issues. You're concerned about these issues. You're passionate about helping people. And I want to tell you that I appreciate that not only for myself, but for other consumers. So I just want to thank you on that point. Oh, sure. Now, you were formerly with Choice Point, and we've had Carol Deepest Batista on when we talked about Choice Point. Now, what's happened is LexisNexis has actually taken over Choice Point and incorporated it. So, how, how did that organization happen and, and how's it integrating? What's going on for privacy issues? That, that's a very good question. And it, unbelievably, we are approaching our one year anniversary within LexisNexis. I, I did come from the former Choice Point organization, and, and about a year ago, actually on September 17th of 2008, the acquisition of ChoicePoint by LexisNexis was finalized, and we became a part of a, of a great new family with LexisNexis. And our integration uh, of the two organizations is an ongoing process. You know, we're, we've made a lot of headway, but there's a lot more to do, obviously. And we had an opportunity, really, to merge together two very robust privacy and security programs to make what we believe is a best, in pract- a best practice organization in terms of privacy, security, and compliance. And it was really good, Mari, because it, it gave us the opportunity to put our privacy issues under a microscope. It gave us the chance to take a look at the two organizations and really adopt the best practices of each uh, to yield an even stronger integrated organization moving forward. So I think it's been a really good thing for both organizations. I think it's a good thing for consumers. And obviously, you know, our integration work will continue to, you know, continue over the next year or two and, and beyond down the road. So now that they've blended here, what are the organization's priorities, that, for, at least for privacy issues? Well, the organization, we call the new organization the Privacy, Security, and Compliance Organization, which is a mouthful, so we refer to it by the acronym PSCO. And we really have a three-pronged mission. We want to mitigate risk for the company by detecting and responding efficiently and effectively to to any incidents that happen to crop up. Of course, we don't want them to, but if they do, we want to make sure that we're prepared to to respond effectively. Second, we want to continue to improve what we consider to be a best-in-industry privacy, security, and compliance program. So that means never resting on our laurels, always looking at our program, assessing where we could, you know, tweak this and change that and just make sure that we're responding to the existing threats and any threats that might be around the corner. Third, we want to make sure we're communicating LexisNexis privacy, security, and compliance procedures to internal and external stakeholders. And what I mean by that is we really want to make sure we're out there talking with our customers because sometimes our customers aren't all that appreciative if we're heaping a bunch of restrictions on them or we say, you know what, you have to change your password every so often. So we have a robust program of outreach to talk to our consumers and say, look, we're ultimately doing this because we have consumers in mind. Here's why it's important to go with us, because these protections are actually a differentiator. We really want to make sure that our customers understand that we're not putting these restrictions in place because we want to be mean or difficult to do business with, but instead because at the end of the day, it makes us a better business partner and a better organization um, you know, in terms of privacy protections and information security. Yes, you know, when we had Carol DiPatista on the show, we, we did talk at that time about the Choice Point security breach. 
And that was, um, I think, an impetus for wonderful new uh, insights about protecting customer information, protecting consumer information, and really verifying who you're working with. So I think that has a lot to do with putting some restrictions on your customers to make sure that they are who they say they are as well. Isn't that really right? It, it, it absolutely is. And, you know, within those three main areas of, of focus or priorities, we kind of have drilled down and, and divided our organization into four main areas. And they each sort of touch on what you just said, Mari. The, the first area of our organization focuses on, on information security, data security, and then investigations and incident response. And so that, that area really is the nuts and bolts of how we secure information and then consequently how we investigate any potential issue and then how we react to any potential issue that maybe crops up through the investigative process. And the second part is policies and programs. And that, that part, that group is really responsible for, for policy formulation. So developing all the policies that get circulated internally that, that govern, you know, how we, we maintain the information that we have, how we protect it, um, it provides the, the framework for how, can, for how our employees are to treat their laptops when they're traveling on you know, business travel. You know, you can't leave it with the valet. You need to have it locked up and to something sturdy that can't get lifted. All of those things, that group is really responsible for the policy piece. And that group also is involved with, with product, and sec- product development from a security standpoint. So they work very closely with our businesses when they're building new products and developing new solutions that the security and privacy protections are built in from the get-go rather than having to infuse them at a later date. So that's a, a really important piece of what we do is partnering with those businesses to say, okay, that's great, you've got a new product, but what are the security, you know, what are the security protocols that are going to be in place for that product? Right. You know, I think the fact that both ChoicePoint and LexisNexis had experienced early security breaches that they learn from that. It's just like all of us. When we have something that goes wrong, we went, oh my goodness, when something horrible happens, you learn from it, you take gr- greater precautions than those who something never happened to because then they just think that they're never going to happen to them. <laughs> so I think that's one of the other issues with both of them experiencing security breaches. So with all that in mind, what are some of the biggest threats to information security and privacy today? I think you just hit the nail on the head, Mari, and that's organizations that don't realize they have a stake in this game and don't take it seriously. And I think, you know, every organization out there has information that needs to be protected, and and that's whether you're a small nonprofit or a large government or corporate entity. You have sensitive information under your roof, and you have to have policies, procedures, and guidelines in place to protect it. You need to have a system of audit and compliance to test those policies and procedures to make sure they're actually protecting what you set forth to have them protect. So there, there needs to be checks and balances. And I think if you're taking a position or if a company is taking a position, you know, that, that we're immune, a breach will never happen to us, you know, taking that position I think is the biggest, one of the biggest threats that's out there. And um, I know a lot of companies, they don't think it will happen to them, but from where we sit, it's not if, it's when. And you really have to put yourself in a position to be mitigating those risks up front. Right. And, you know, we're sitting here on the campus of the University of California, Irvine, and universities have been notoriously uh, vulnerable to security breaches. When you look at all the security breaches that began from 2005 and up to the date now, I mean, two-thirds of them are from universities and educational institutions. So they're not looking. I mean, we've had even security breaches here at the University of California, Irvine. And um, also, when you, you were talking about small companies, I mean, a company like me with an attorney, when I have all sorts of sensitive data about my clients, even online companies that might be a home office or a, an office in their garage, if they're collecting credit card information, they have sensitive data. So it applies to all of us across the board, and you're absolutely right. So what is, for example, LexisNexis doing to mitigate their own risks, and what do they suggest for others? Well, what we, what we try to do in order to mitigate some risk is, is we try to have a comprehensive privacy, security, and compliance framework, and it, it includes many of the things that we've already touched on briefly, but it's a holistic approach. We like for it to include people, processes, and technical management, and those are kind of 
the broad three areas. And it's important that you have your framework be based on standards. We have ours based on the ISO 27002 security standard. We also base it on proprietary customer credentialing criteria, which means when our customers come to us, they have to answer certain questions with regard to, you know, their business legitimacy. And we're constantly changing those protocols so that there, if there is a bad guy out there and they want to share our, you know, our questionnaire with their friend, it won't be the same the next time. And we score those questionnaires and we make sure that people are meeting the requirements to get access to our information and to our systems. And that's really a key is, is having a framework, having it in place, and then constantly reassessing that framework uh, it's being in touch with law enforcement to understand what the what the current threats are and then adjusting and reevaluating your framework from there. And really, it's also having an understanding that it, it, it's never a destination. Right. Everything is going to continue to evolve. The threats are going to evolve. You can't assume that what you've put in place is the end-all, be-all. And certainly our position is that it's not. It's that we've got to constantly reassess, uh, you know, reconfigure and move forward and evolve as the situation does as well. Right. Those fraudsters seem to be so insightful, don't they? I, if they only use their their brilliance for good, <laughs> I know. I know. Be, it, 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 it is amazing. It is amazing. Well, you know, as as you know, I work with a lot of identity theft victims, mm-hmm. and many of them find out that they have a background check, that perhaps an employer finds things on there that that were either errors due to identity theft. Or more than, you know, more than, sometimes they're heirs, sometimes they're identity theft. So what about if, if someone, an employer, for example, gets a background check that came from ChoicePoint, LexisNexis, and on that background check that they see from their, employer, from their potential employer, there are many errors that look like they're due to identity theft. Can you take us through the steps of what a victim should do? Sure, I'd be happy to. And what a nightmare the identity theft scenario is. And I, I talk with a lot of consumers that are trying to navigate that um, that that difficult web. And um, we do try to put as as many tools in place as possible to help consumers through that matter. And and the first should be, you know, if you get a report from LexisNexis and you see something that you'd like to have corrected, I recommend that you first contact our consumer center. And I have that phone number. Okay. It is 1-800-845-6004. Okay. So a consumer can call our consumer center, and you'll speak directly with a representative, and they'll take down all of the incorrect information that, that you see on your report, and basically at that point they'll initiate a dispute to remove those inaccuracies. And at that point, the representative may need to go away and do some legwork, but then they'll call you back and, you know, obviously keep you involved throughout the process. But that dispute process will take place. And once that process is completed, the consumer, as well as the employer, will be notified of the revised report. Okay, but, but before that, when that consumer who, let's say he believes he's a victim of identity theft and he provides, uh, completes forms for your office, should he also be sending or she be sending you the FTC completed affidavit that they completed and their police report of the identity theft along with any identification documents? Does, is that important? It certainly is. There's, um, depending on the scenario, so if, it, if it's an identity theft um, scenario, they would do all of those things, and the representative would, would talk them through that. And so then they would initiate the dispute process on behalf of the consumer, and then they would, then as I had stated before, the, they would be advised once the dispute process was complete. On the other hand, if there is something that needs to be changed at, at a source, for example, maybe at one of the credit bureaus, the representative will help the consumer understand the source of that inaccuracy and then help them get in touch with the source to be able to correct the record at the source so that it won't be promulgated in the future. What about if it's, let's say, it's a uh, fraudulent criminal record? So that if that's appearing on a background check and that comes out through LexisNexis, then what, what happens? Do, they, do you get that information from the courthouse, correct? Is that who reports to you? 
it, it varies depending on the situation. We do get our records from a number of different places, but in many cases it would be a court record. It would be the same process, Mari. So it would be contacting the same number, explaining the situation, and if the case were a criminal record rather than a public record, we would then we would still initiate the process, but if it was an erroneous criminal record, we would work with the consumer to get that record expunged and removed from the record. Okay, so they wouldn't have to hire an attorney to go and get that record expunged or corrected? The, the consumer center could help them with that. In most cases, that can be accomplished without an attorney. Oh, that would be good. That would mm-hmm. be good because I know I've had to help people when we weren't able to get it done. So I know now that that's one of the options that we have. Sure. So how about before a person applies for a job, you know, lately we've been worried about people getting jobs. Our economy is really bad. We want to make sure that nothing appears on a background check that, that is erroneous. So we like to tell people it's a good idea to do their own background check before they even apply for a job just to see if there's anything lurking out there that, that might look bad or that, that is an error. So um, what, can they do that through Choice? Couldn't, can't they do that through Joyce Point? Yes, yes. Um, LexisNexis actually does have a, um, an offering, and it's found at the website www.choicetrust.com. And you're exactly right, Mari. It, it is a great idea to go ahead and do that because surprises are, are not a good thing when it comes to applying for, for new employment, et cetera. And that site actually offers various types of pre-employment self-checks and we recommend, first of all, because it prevents any surprises, as, as we just said. But secondary to that, we found that employers often view it as a positive thing to have applicants provide their own verification when they're applying for a position. Um, we, we've just gotten good feedback on that offering. So it is, a, it is a good idea for consumers to just go out there and do that. You, you may or may not actually be applying for a job, but it, it is a good thing to do just to see what's out there, just like it's a good idea to get your, you know, your credit report periodically just to make sure there's nothing out there that that would surprise you. Right. You know, a lot of people worry about this social networking and they wonder if perhaps the the social networking sites that they're using are being used by LexisNexis or ChoicePoint or any of the information brokers. What do you answer to that? In terms of consumers worrying about social networking? Well, no, uh, I guess the question is, what we tell people is, you know, don't put it in up anything that might make you look bad up there, <laughs> like, you know, a drunk Saturday night when you're, you know, wearing something stupid or, sure. you know, that's not really smart. But what, what the question is, that I was asking is, um, does LexisNexis or ChoicePoint ever go and use those avenues for part of its background check? Well, under the FCRA, you know, Consumers are all afforded certain protections under the FCRA, and employers are not allowed to make employment decisions by looking up people in social networking sites, strictly speaking. Um, That said, Mari, I think you do consumers probably a great service by recommending that they don't go and put up, um, you know, those embarrassing pictures from Saturday night up on the Internet because obviously it's a free web and people can access it, and, and who's to say that a potential employer, you know, wouldn't take a look at something of that sort. So for as far as LexisNexis pulling information from those sources, we don't. However, I, I, I agree with your, with your idea of, you know, it's better not to put things like that out there in the first place. Exactly, exactly. So let me ask you something. What help my, um, we've talked about FACTA with regard to credit reporting agencies on this, you know, on this show. But we haven't really talked too much about the fact of disclosures that ChoicePoint offers for consumers as part of the Fair and Accurate Credits Transactions Act. So why don't you explain the, the free disclosures that consumers can get every year and then the extra stuff that that I know ChoicePoint offers? Well, sure. Um FACTA requires certain types of nationwide specialty consumer reporting agencies to provide consumers with free annual file disclosures. And those are the CRAs, as they're called, that compile and maintain files about consumers on a nationwide basis relating to certain types of information such as, you know, employment history, insurance claims, uh, residential or tenant history. Those are the kinds of things that, that we have as a consumer reporting agency. And, of course, they're, not, they're separate and apart from what the credit bureaus do. Three of Lexus's businesses provide this type of free annual file disclosure for employment history insurance claims, and residential or tenant history. And 
you can actually obtain those reports, Mari, by visiting that site that I mentioned earlier, which is choicetrust.com. So it's www.choicetrust.com, and you can get those um, those annual disclosures at, at that site. I think it says FACTA disclosures. So those of you who are looking to get your free annual disclosure, it'll actually say at the, at the top, FACTA disclosure, I think. How, so they can get, when they, when they get their insurance disclosure, tell them what they'll see there. Well, it, the insurance one, for example, would have information about insurance claims, and it would help them understand, you know, how insurance companies make decisions, underwriting decisions. So as a consumer, when you go out to an insurance company, they potentially could use Lexus's services to help them understand the risk that could be involved with underwriting your insurance policy. Right. So if you had property damage that you reported um, several times, that might make you more of a risk for homeowner's insurance or something like that. That's exactly right. And, you know, it's important that they look at that because, uh, for example, I had an error on mine. And when I got my clue report, it's called a clue report. It tells you what your insurance claims were. And there was a mistake on mine. So I had to write and get it corrected. And I, I actually had to go back to my insurance company because they had marked some kind of a code wrong. <laughs> oh, no. And, uh, yeah, they said that I had a, a property damage on my home, and it was really my husband lost his wedding ring. So it's very important that you look at it, whether you're a victim of identity theft or not. It might There might be an error on there that you don't want to hurt you for your further in, you know, insurance, uh, it, you know, the, what you're going to have to pay for insurance in the future if you want to change a company. And if you are a victim of identity theft, you want to see if someone else has gotten insurance on a property that you don't own. Or it, it carries um, auto insurance too, doesn't it? Doesn't it deal with auto insurance as well? Yes, it does. Yeah, so those are really important. How about the work history? Isn't that on there as well? Yes, you, you can. Now, if you've, had, if you've been employed with a company that uses our services, you would have employment history presumably on there as well. And so along the same vein as insurance, it does make sense for all consumers, regardless, don't wait until you're a victim of identity theft to, to get these free file disclosures. Go ahead and get them, review them, and make sure there's nothing on there that does look fishy or out of sorts. And then that way you're mitigating the, the surprises on the back end. And of course, it, you know, it's, you can do that periodically, and, and especially in today's information age when when unfortunately these types of crimes are, are running all too rampant. It, it certainly makes sense to take advantage of the opportunity to, to, to do that. Okay, so if you want to dispute or correct something in any of those disclosures, what would the process be to do that? Very similar uh, to what we discussed earlier, just contacting our consumer center and the folks there can help uh, help you work through the dispute process. So really, they, they we aren't the ones that actually have the records, but we will help consumers get to the source in order to correct those discrepancies. Okay, so so again, consumers have those rights. Why don't you explain a little bit about those rights that with regard to the correction? Well, with regard to correction at, at LexisNexis, like for example, you know, I can only speak to what, what we help consumers to to do, mm-hmm. but we strive to always provide consumers with the ability to review the information that we may have about them and then provide opportunities for them to dispute the information if they believe it's not accurate uh, and then to correct the information by assisting them, you know, by helping them in identifying the potential information sources where the corrections can be made. And that's our commitment to help, you know, it's a confusing process and it's something that is sort of daunting if you're looking at your report going, that's not, that's, you know, that's not right, what do I do? That's what we want to be there for. We want to be there for those consumers that have those concerns and have those issues and help them actually get to the places where they can get those things fixed. Right. So on your website, do you have, besides having the forms to make a dispute, do you actually have like a list of the steps that a consumer should take if they're a victim of identity theft for, for those particular types of issues? Mari, I don't know if you can quote me, but on our choicetrust.com website, there are a series of FAQs. And I'm about 95% sure they do cover the different scenarios that consumers could come up with. But in the event that that it doesn't, our Consumer Center is always standing by and ready to answer any questions that that might crop up. Okay. So do you have that number for the Consumer Center? Is that that uh, 800-845-6004? That's the one. Okay, perfect. 
So we are speaking. I want to get the chance to introduce you. I've been so interested in everything you've been telling me that I didn't stop back to tell everybody who we're listening to. So if you're driving by or if you're listening on the Internet and you want to know who this wonderful person is that I'm speaking with, I am speaking with Tina Stowe, who is a certified information privacy professional, just like me. And she is the Senior Director of Privacy and Communications for LexisNexis. And you can find out much more about her and what she does at LexisNexis.com. That's L-E-X-I-S-N-E-X-I-S.com. Also, you'll see her picture, her bio, and a link to their website at our website at KUCI.org slash privacy piracy. So, Tina, tell me, you know, when I go on the the web and I just type in a search in the search engine background checks, I come up with literally thousands and thousands. So what are your thoughts with all, you know, with all of those? How do we know what's legitimate and how do we know what's really fraudulent? Right. That certainly is a problem today because there is a lot of noise out there on the World Wide Web and it is hard to know what's legitimate and what's not. And you know, if you're ever considering doing a background screen on someone, say you want to have a hire a nanny or you want to hire a contractor or a tutor to come inside your home and you want to do a background check on them, you know, that's a very valid thing to want to do, right? So I will tell you, we also have the availability to, or we have the ability rather, to provide that service for consumers, and that's also available through the choicetrust.com website that we've been speaking about. We call them our family security background checks, and they're available for, you know, instances like hiring a tutor or a nanny or a contractor or a house cleaner or so on and so forth, Mari. Um, and, of course, if you're, if you're in the market for background screening of your employees, I, of course, think everyone should use LexisNexis. Right. Um, but I would also, you know, probably recommend trying to find a vendor that seems to have a pretty substantial presence on the web, you know, a brand you recognize if you can find one and, you know, to help safeguard against doing business with, with a bogus company. And as you said, there are so many fly-by-nights out there without a doubt. And before you're doing business with a company, you want to make sure that, that they're legitimate. So one of the things you might consider is, is when you're researching organizations to do business with is, you know, do they have a program of customer credentialing? If you're going to do business with a company and they really don't ever ask you who you are or why you want to do what you want to do, that's probably a red flag that they might not be the most upstanding organization. So one thing that you can do is kind of do your own assessment. You know, hey, how much do they want to know about my organization before they'll allow me access to their information? And, you know, if you can, you want to assess whether or not they have a solid privacy, security, and compliance program because all of that's very important and points back to their own legitimacy. And, of course, there are a couple of other things you can look for as a consumer, kind of the telltale signs of being a legitimate business. There's the Better Bureau, you know, Better Business Bureau seal of approval. And there's also something that, that ChoicePoint had, the former ChoicePoint had, which was a trustee certification. And they're a third party that assesses the privacy policies of the organization, the website of the organization that you're, that you're using. And it basically says, yes, we're a third party and we verify that they're a legitimate business and we verify that they actually follow the guidelines that they set forth in their privacy policies. So their information collection practices are actually in compliance with their privacy policies. And I think a lot of times companies out there aren't doing that. So that's another way to kind of at least get a, an inkling that this is a legitimate organization. Exactly. So, for example, if you want to do a background check on yourself to, before you go and get a job and, and you're looking for the cheapest thing you can find, you might end up with a fraud company that is asking you for your sensitive information, your social security number, your birth date, and all that information. They're gathering that information, and they could commit identity theft against you. So it's so very important that you verify actually who you're working with and who you're going to use, because there are literally thousands of them out there. And I've heard of these kinds of companies that have put up these fake websites, and they're committing identity theft right there. And then, of course, they're using your information to, to steal your identity. So it's so important that you use a company that's reputable. So uh, are, we're talking about protecting sensitive information. What do you think? Do you think most companies really are doing enough to protect sensitive information? You know, Mar, I, I think some are and some aren't. Companies that, that don't take these issues very, 
very seriously, I think, today are just sorely out of touch with where we are as an information society. I mean, we're, we're constantly transmitting more and more information over the World Wide Web. These issues are never going to go away. They're only going to, you know, continue to heighten, I think, as, as we move forward with Web 2.0 and continue to, you know, more and more websites are popping up every day and more and more fraudulent and the criminals are getting even more creative. So certainly I'm hopeful that most companies realize that, that these issues are not going away um, and that we all have a responsibility to act as good stewards of information. Um, you know, I don't know that that, that, that is reality, but, but I am hopeful. I think people are starting to get it more, and I think organizations are starting to um, take notes a little bit more, and, and, and certainly they see what, what's happening in the news with, with organizations that are having issues, and I think people are starting to, to get it and get on the bandwagon, and I certainly hope that continues. You know, I know that you're a privacy officer, but you probably work pretty closely with the technology people in the IT department. Am I correct? Yes. Yeah. So although you're not a techie, are, I, I'm sure you're aware if your company is, um, for example, redact, redacting information, limiting access to information, and of course, probably encrypting information because you've got so much sensitive data. Um, what what do you suggest for other companies uh, for some of the things that you're doing right now? Could you kind of clarify some of the things that you're doing and that you think are really part of the best practices? Well, sure. And all of those technical aspects are certainly piece or pieces of the pie. Um, but really, the pie is much bigger than that. You don't ever want to just concentrate on data security because then you might be missing out on the policy piece or the training piece. And we really feel like it has to be a holistic approach. You need the whole thing. You need the whole kit and caboodle in order to really be mitigating risk effectively. But as far as for organizations that you know maybe don't have anything in place or or don't have a ton of resources, my first advice is to start somewhere. And at the very least, put a framework and its components down on a piece of paper. And, and those components could, you know, should include many things, but, but really it's the credentialing, it's the data security piece, it's the, you know, the policies and procedures, it's the audit and compliance, it's the outreach, it's the education. You know, all of those things are vital pieces of the pie. And you know, keep in mind, those things can be, can be scaled and tailored according to your business and according to your risk and the types of information that you collect, you maintain, you store, and you transfer on. So, you know, if you're a nonprofit that maybe only has PII on your employees. Now, you need to explain PII, personally identifiable information, because remember, I, we have people driving by who don't know what we're talking about. I apologize. Yes, personally identifiable information, <laughs> names and addresses, dates of birth, things of that nature. If you have employees, as we've covered, that's sensitive information. Now, you need to have policies in place for protecting that. For example, you might have a um, portable device policy that says, okay, you can't download sensitive information onto a, a flash drive and carry it out of the office, for example. But your framework is going to need to be much different than you know, the framework at LexisNexis would need to be. So all the components are important, but you can scale it for your organization. And so I think that's, that's the key place to start for, for companies that don't have anything in place. Start somewhere, scale it to your risk, scale it to your business model, and then take it from there. So when we're talking about privacy principles, and you started to talk a little bit about that, I'm thinking about all the business owners that may be large and small here driving through from Newport Beach, California, lots of businesses there, Irvine, California, and this whole area of Orange County. There's a lot of businesses coming by that maybe, you know, that are obviously not as big as LexisNexis Choice Point. And so let's talk about what we mean by some of these privacy things. Like, for example, collection, when we collect information, what kind of questions should we ask ourselves as businesses when we're, when we're collecting information? Well, I think one, one key place to start is to do an inventory of your information assets, Mari. So think about your business and basically write down on a piece of paper everywhere you have sensitive information and catalog it and, and catalog it based on the, the, the sensitivity and you can't know how to protect information until you know where it resides in your organization. And once you know where it resides, then you can build the protections and the policies around, okay, well, how long are we going to keep it? 
when we're done keeping it, how are we going to destroy it? If we're going to transfer it, how are we going to transfer it? Are we going to have it encrypted? Are we going to have secure servers? Are we going to have fraud detection tools in place? It's most important to first understand where your sensitive data lies in your organization. Then once you know that, once you have that down on a piece of paper, then you build the, the appropriate protections around that. And until you know that, you really can't do it effectively. Right. And for a company like yours, you are going to collect probably as much sensitive information as you possibly can to have a complete uh, profile of whatever you're trying to do. But there's other places, you know, other companies that don't need to collect everything. In other words, how about just collecting what you need, what you absolutely need, and not collect what you don't need because then you don't have to worry about it. No, you're, you're exactly right, and we, we employ that here at LexisNexis, by the way. I mean, when we have customers that don't necessarily need access to the highest or the most sensitive data, we mask that data or we truncate it. We, we take the risk out of the equation because that helps in the long run. It's, it's just absolutely essential that you only provide the sensitive information where it's absolutely imperative. And, and Mari, you're exactly right. Every organization can do that much. Ask yourself, where do I absolutely need it? Where can I cut it? And then cut it, and you reduce your risk along with the cut. You know, another area that I hear a lot of, for example, I've worked closely with the DA in our Orange County District Attorney's Office, and of the cases that they prosecute for identity theft, about 60 to 70% is really from unscrupulous insiders, dirty insiders, unscrupulous employees. So what about people who just think they can allow access to everything, you know, whether it's the bottle washer in a hospital who has access to sensitive information that's on all the patients, or whether it's the law office and a law clerk can get into everything. What do you think about limiting access? That's another key is, is after you do that inventory, you then limit that access. You, you basically say, okay, this is where access is absolutely essential. Over here, Category B is where access is, is non-essential, and you eliminate it. And by the way, that's where the credentialing piece comes in, because credentialing is not just for customers. Credentialing is for vendors. It's for the cleaning team that comes in and might have access to sensitive information after hours. And it's also for your own employees, because employees, you know, good people, we all know, good people can, can turn bad. So we at LexisNexis have a program of recredentialing, whereby our employees have to undergo of course, the front-end background screen to get in the door, but every two to three years thereafter, all of our employees are recredentialed to make sure that there's nothing in the background that would cause us, you know, give us pause in allowing them to have access to sensitive information. So you need to know your customers, employees, and your vendors, and so credentialing covers those three areas, not just your customers. Right. And how about audit trails? When, you know, when you're talking about I guess I want to go back when you were said sometimes people turn bad. Sometimes people are just foolish. They they not they have access and they make mistakes. Right. Or it's just kind of a stupid thing. They take it home on their laptop or they take it home on their thumb drive or on their iPod and then it's lost or stolen. So that isn't really a bad malicious attempt to lose or, you know, give away data, but sometimes it's just stupid. So, no, of, of course, you're, you're right. I mean, when you have human beings working for an organization, um, human error is going to occur, unfortunately. And it's not always malicious, and it's not always someone who's trying to commit identity theft. And you, you raise a very good point about audit and compliance. You need audit and compliance to serve as, as a, a system of checks and balances to make sure that your policies and procedures are working. For example, with regard to information um, employees on the inside of our company, we do a, a clean desk policy audit, for example. So periodically, we'll have people stay back after hours and go make sure that sensitive information isn't being left out on employee desks at night. So therefore, the cleaning crew wouldn't have access to it. So we go through and we, we check people's desks and we make sure it's all locked away as it's supposed to. Now, our employees are very good about that. We work at a company where levels of sensitivity are very heightened around these issues, but I presume that maybe, you know, some companies would find issues if they did an audit like that. Well, I know 
a lot of people are refinancing right now, or I, I can tell you that from my experience of dealing with escrow companies, you walk into the office and there are files sitting everywhere, even at the end of the day that they leave open. So you're right. Uh, A lot of them are not as cognizant. And if you think about what's in a a loan package, (laughs) the credit report, all of the um, sensitive information about the individual person and all of their bank accounts, their other loans, other information about them. So if you're listening to this, and you happen to be in the loan industry or in the bank industry, you've got to be very, very careful. What about audit trails with regard to electronic devices like the computer? Who's who's tapping into a particular database or, or tapping into a particular file? What about that? We do do audits of our customers to make sure that, that they're accessing our data, you know, in a permissible um, in a permissible way. So a number of our audits don't, you know, don't just reach to our customers, but we also reach to consumers. So one of the things we do, and, and we consider this to be a best practice, is we'll actually send consumers to, or audits rather, to consumers and say, you know, you recently, you know, this customer recently um, told us that you gave them permission to perform a background check on you. Is that actually true? Uh-huh. That's good. Right. So we're reaching directly to consumers because this is presumably a consumer-driven transaction. So we should be able to reach directly to the consumer and say, validate that that is the case. And they always validate that that is the case. But we better believe we read those audit reports because that's very important for us to have a finger on the pulse of what the consumer is doing because we're a business-to-business company. That gives us a window into the actual consumer, and that's one of the audits that, that we like the most. But certainly, you know, we, don't, we do a number of different audits. We do audits for permissible use to make sure that that organizations have a permissible use under the FCRA or DPPA or Driver's Privacy Protection Act, excuse me, um, too many acronyms, (laughs) to be accessing our information and services and that they're doing so rightfully under, under the law. You know, when you were bringing up about making sure that, for example, an employer has the permissible Uh, the permission of the potential employee. That is so important. I'm just writing right now as we speak. I've been writing this chapter on employee identity theft because I'm I'm writing my my new book. I have had so many people who found out that there are people who are working under their SSN, under their name, and obviously they do not give their permission to get their credit report. So if you go back and you ask one of the identity theft victims who I've spoken to about whether they gave their permission for a consumer report for their background check or a credit report, they would tell you no. Right. And so you'd find out even before the person starts getting a job in their name. And then, of course, they get stuck with the IRS bill and end up with a lot of other problems because someone has been working under their name illegitimately. So that's a really, really good point, And I appreciate that you're doing that. Great. Let's go back to the issue of all these security breaches, because that's what we hear about in the news every day. You know, every year we hear about this, and we've also heard about, you know, 10 to 15 million new victims of identity theft each year. And, of course, when bad guys, whether they be dirty insiders or whether they be outside hackers and they're getting these security breaches, whether we're hearing about TJ Maxx or Heartland, we're hearing about so much with security breach. What do you think about the security breach notification laws? And do you think that we should have a national law? On What are your thoughts about that? Well, as you know, California was the first state to pass a breach notification law. And since then, most of the other states in the union have, have followed suit. We're up to 45 now, several more at the territory level. And Missouri was our latest state to pass a law uh, just recently in July of this year. And they're difficult to navigate. Um, LexisNexis would certainly support a national notification law that protects consumers. We, we just would want for it to not result in over-notification, and I think that's something that the, the states are very cognizant of as well. And what do you mean by over-notification? Just making sure that the consumers that are potentially affected are the ones that get notified and that a standard wouldn't mandate that you notify more than that population. Sometimes I've learned that a lot of times the, the company themselves don't know about a person's identity theft and maybe the security breach until they actually hear from the consumer. 
So they don't even know how expansive the security breach is until they hear from the consumer to find out that they're a victim. So I, you know, I worry about under notifying and I understand the concern about over notifying, but do you think that there's going to be a federal security breach standard set up? Certainly, you raise a, a very valid concern, and, and obviously, there's got to be a balance there. I think that the legislative environment could be right to have something like that happen over the course of this administrative uh, this administration. It, it certainly will be an interesting debate because I think, you know, obviously, there are 45 states that already have a hat in the ring, and they're going to want to make sure that their protections are inclusive of whatever the national standard becomes. So I, I certainly look forward to the debate. I think I think we'll definitely have one. People are really familiar with credit bureaus and, and how the Fair Credit Reporting Act really does apply to them with regard to their rights. I think they're less understanding of their rights with regard to information companies like LexisNexis and ChoicePoint. Could you kind of explain to them their rights with regard to the Fair Credit Reporting Act as a consumer? Sure, Mari. With regard to, as a consumer, if you have interaction with us that lies outside of the fair credit report, meaning things that that lie outside of an insurance transaction or a pre-employment transaction, of course, I can only speak for LexisNexis, and there are a number of information companies out there, but we always try to provide consumers with the ability to review the information that we have about them and always to provide opportunities for consumers to dispute and correct that information. And we always assist them by identifying the potential information sources at which the corrections should be made. So outside of the FCRA, sort of in the public record space, um, that's our commitment and, and what we try to do to help in, help consumers if they have any types of issues that would fall outside the realm of the FCRA. So if it falls outside of the FCRA, give us some examples of those. Are those like, for example, information that you give to law enforcement or what kinds of issues would come under that? I know if they get an employment background check, that falls within the FCRA. So what kinds of things fall outside of the FCRA that that they don't really have those rights? Well, um, law enforcement actually is a a fantastic example. Um, That would certainly be one. But if, if we had a if we had someone contact our consumer center and say, you know what, I've got, you know, some information on my record, there's an address that doesn't belong to me, et cetera and so forth, that would be another way that a consumer might be involved with us. We could help them initiate the dispute process and help them get that erroneous address erased from their record as well. So those would be a couple of contexts. Law enforcement is a is a non FCRA customer of ours. So that's one way that consumers could potentially you know, be touched or have information about them transmitted through a LexisNexis database. How about with governmental entities? Would that would that be under FCRA? So, for example, I don't know if you guys do anything with the watch list or or the um, the list with regard to the Department of Treasury. Would that also fall outside of the realm of the FCRA? Those are also outside of FCRA. And so if they have something like, let's say they're on the watch list, then they have to go back to the government entity themselves. Is that right? I would actually have to find out the answer for you, Mari, on that. And I'm happy to do that and um, write back in to to make sure that your listeners can get the the answer to that. Okay. Well, I didn't mean to (laughs) to send you off that way. Why don't you give us your website and just tell us a little bit about real quickly what they can find there because I think it's a great, your LexisNexis and your ChoicePoint website are great. Okay, very good. Well, www.lexisnexus.com backslash privacy is a great place to go for consumers who want to learn about opt-out or how to get different uh, reports about them. And how to correct them, right? Yes, exactly. An additional resource is the Choice Trust website that we talked about, which is www.choicetrust.com. And that's the place for, you know, ordering reports, the family security and personal background reports that we also discussed. So visit both of those sites. And that one is the one that they can get their free fact of disclosures of the uh, insurance report, correct? And yes. their uh, work history report. Am I correct? Yes, you're exactly right. And then I think, I don't know if you're still doing this, but, but um, I thought you had a public records report that people could get as well there. Yes, that's also available through Choice Trust. Okay. Well, you are terrific. Thank you for all of your help and your wonderful uh, work that you do in privacy over at LexisNexis. And we'll have you back again. Thank you. Thank you so much, Mara. I enjoyed it. Okay. You've been listening to 
Tina Stowe, who is the Director of Privacy for LexisNexis. And you've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. Visit us at our website at KUCI.org slash privacy piracy. See our upcoming guests, listen to archived interviews, and write us emails about what's important to you about privacy in the information age. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.